0: Word of God, the church said. Amen. I have a tough task today. I want to talk about blessed are those who mourn, and the task is is trying to convince you why mourning is good, why we need mourning in our lives, what it means for the church. So let me start with this. I came across a story recently that there's a new kind of bar that has opened in a place in Asia, and it is called a cry bar. And in that bar, there are couches, there are tables, there are chairs. And for $6 an hour, you pay to go into this bar where you can sit and cry. And the reason this guy opened the bar in this Chinese port city is uh, when he was in his former business, he had all these clients who came to him and they said, I wish I had a place where I could cry, uh, but I don't know where that place or where that time would be. So we opened this up for that. Now, some of you hear that and you're like, dude, I would never pay $6. You couldn't pay me $6. You couldn't pay me $6,000 to go into a place like that to cry. And some of you hear that and you're like, yeah, there are times in my life I would have paid $6 for that. After that Nicholas Sparks movie, right? After, for all the cowboy fans in the house for the last 20 years. I mean, we pay money for that. Uh, And how can I convince you today... For those of you who find yourself in a place of mourning that you cannot, I don't think God wants you to stay in a permanent place of mourning for the rest of your life. You're not meant to live there. While also convincing the rest of you, and maybe all of us, that mourning can sometimes be a gift straight from God. So in Matthew chapter 5, verse 4, last week we uh, laid a foundation. We talked about Matthew 5, 3 for just a few moments. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. In other words, blessed are those who crushed in spirit, blessed are those who are at the end of their rope, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And today, the words of Jesus that I want to focus on are blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And I want you to see the promises that come with each one of the Beatitudes, even when Jesus talks about, for they will be comforted, the way he words that is not that when you die, just hang on until you die, and when you die, things will get better. Jesus is offering them present-day blessings that are coming straight from God, that where you are in your life, if you are crushed in spirit, if you find yourself mourning, comfort of God is coming into your life. There is a blessing of the Lord that he wants to speak into your life. Um, Fred Smith, not Memphis' Fred Smith, a different Fred Smith, he was a leadership guru, worked with Leadership Network, an influential businessman. Back in 2004, he became very ill, was in the hospital. Um, He... Um, was semi-conscious and his family was sitting around his bed and they heard him. He opened his eyes and he said, I want to go home. I just want to go home. So the family took his words and they went to another room where they sat for a while and they prayed and did they want to grant their dad's wish or not? And they decided they were going to grant their father's wish. So they took him off dialysis. They were told it may be a few days, but his health never declined. And the family, they would take turns going in, sitting with him, where they would sing songs and they would pray prayers and give him permission to go from here to there. And then a few days into this, Fred woke up and uh, he had this coughing aspiration. they like, woke him up and he looked and there was his daughter and his daughter began to give him permission, saying, Dad, it's okay, you can go home, you can go from here to there, you can go, Jesus is waiting on you. And he opened his eyes and he looked at his daughter and he said, Home? When I said I wanted to go home, I wasn't talking about heaven. I was talking about 3065 Park Chester Avenue. I want to go home to my own bed. So the family hurried and got back together and they put him back on dialysis and, and he ended up living another three to four years. So who's right when it comes to what is home? Is home there where we escape and go away with Jesus? Is home here? And I think the answer is yes. Home is where God is. Home isn't just when you die and you go somewhere else. And home isn't just this present-day condition. It's where God is. And what Jesus offers in the Beatitudes is he's talking to people who have been dealt a lot of different circumstances and all forms of conflict and distress. And he's giving them these blessings that are flowing straight from God into their lives. So. Um, The kingdom of god the kingdom of heaven is what is promised in the first and the last beatitude For those who are poor in spirit yours is the kingdom of heaven Not that one day it will be yours is the kingdom of heaven. Let me let me take you somewhere real quick All right, the book of isaiah and my friend chris seedman, uh, I had a good conversation with him He wrote a book on the beatitudes a few years ago And he taught taught me this this past week in the book of isaiah the, the kingdom of god is referred to 17 times I didn't have room on a slide to put all of those, but if you want those 17 references, shoot me an email, call me, grab me after church. I'll be happy to give those to you. All 17 references to the kingdom of God in the book of Isaiah are in the context of salvation and deliverance. All 17. All 17 references to the kingdom of God in Isaiah is about how the salvation of God is coming to his people and God is coming to deliver his people from whatever it is that is holding them down. And here's what I think is so cool, because Jesus comes speaking the Beatitudes. is his first big teaching in, in the Gospel of Matthew. And he opens his mouth, and the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, is what is flowing out of Jesus. And the promise he gives them is, the kingdom of heaven is yours. That salvation deliverance isn't just waiting on you one day when you die. It is coming, and it's coming now. And Jesus is the one who even embodies Emmanuel. His name in Matthew one twenty one is that he is coming to save his people from their sins. He's coming to deal sin this catastrophic blow. Now, in the book of Isaiah, in all 17 of those references, here are some other words you find. And I I find this to be greatly encouraging if you go to that next slide. In those 17 verses in the book of Isaiah that talk about the kingdom of God, here are other words you find in those 17 verses. That when the kingdom of God comes, here are other things that come with it. Peace is mentioned in 14 of those 17. Healing is mentioned in seven. Joy, 12. Return from estrangement from God. Return from being separated from God is mentioned uh, nine times. And righteousness, justice, fairness, compassion, uh, how you treat other people is in 16 of the 17 of those. So what Jesus comes... In Matthew's, one of the most influential books in the Old Testament, what Jesus is letting them know is that what God is, how He is blessing people and what He is doing, these are not just future promises. These are present-day realities. And I want you to hear it because I think we have to be careful that we don't elevate future promises and minimize the present reality of what God is doing in the here and now. And we can't elevate what God is doing in the here and now and minimize the future promises That will come with God one day. We need them both. I taught you last week at the end of chapter four. You can't read the Beatitudes without reading the end of chapter four. Uh, What Jesus does before he begins to begins to teach is he heals people of diseases. He drives out demons. He heals paralytics. He's teaching. He's 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 healing people who who are suffering from chronic illness. Which would have separated them from synagogues and from receiving blessings from priests. It would have separated them from what we would know as a church family from their own families. And Jesus is healing physical diseases and spiritual diseases. And those people who were with him, he is handing them, as he is teaching, the very thing that can change and transform their entire lives. And sometimes I wonder when we are holding the Bible in our hands, and especially places like the Beatitudes, do we know the power that can and will flow through those? If we don't just read them and memorize them in our mind, which memorization is good, but when we allow it to sink into our hearts and to change our lives. Right, to prove how important this is, there's a, a FedEx commercial that came out a few years ago. I want to show this to you, all right? If you remember the movie Castaway with Tom Hanks, came out 15 years ago. Tom Hanks uh, was on a FedEx plane, crashing in the ocean. He ends up living on an island for a few years, so FedEx did a spoof on this commercial. It's about 35, 40 seconds long. I want you to check this out. Do we have it? <laughs> Hi. Hi. I was marooned on an island for five years with this package. And I swore that I would deliver it to you because I work for FedEx. That's very admirable. Thank you. Hey, but by the way, what's in the package? Huh, nothing really. Just a satellite phone, GPS locator, fishing rod, water purifier, and some seeds. Just silly stuff. Thank you again. You keep up the good work. Isn't that great? Like, I mean, if, that, if that was true the whole time, this guy was holding in that FedEx package everything he needed for salvation and deliverance, right? And I, I see that and I watch it and I'm like, man, I think that's so true to places of the Bible, especially at the Beatitudes, that you were looking at a screen where you're going to hear these words that I'm speaking, that come straight from Jesus. You can open up your Bible and read them, but sometimes I don't think we realize that if we open the Word of God and we open up these words of Jesus and actually take these words and let them go into our minds and sink into our hearts and transform our lives, a kind of power that will come into us and from us. So I want you to focus. Look at chapter 5, verse 4. Get your pens out. I want you to take some notes on some of the things I, I have to say uh, over the next few moments, all right? Uh, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. We mourn because we know something isn't right. We mourn when we know there are things that are not as God intended them to be. In fact, the the word mourn here is, is found throughout the Bible. It comes from a word, penthuntes, and you can see it on the screen, but the definition of this word is to experience sadness as the result of some condition or circumstance. Now, when we think blessed are those who mourn, uh, uh, a lot of times we go straight to death. And and mourning includes that. It's one of the main reasons we do mourn. Uh, Even as I've been preparing this sermon, I've been thinking about those of you who have lost loved ones over the last couple of years, speaking this beatitude over you. Blessed are you in this church who mourn for, I'm praying, comfort of God over you. But it's not only those who die. And if you were to think in your life right now, what are the other things, and and death may be one of them, what are the things in your life that cause you to mourn? How would you answer that question? Uh, And we have some prayer tables set up at the end of this message. We'll be going to those for you to have space if you need to express some form of mourning in your life that we can be praying over. But before we get there, in the first century, Jesus lived in what was the Roman Empire. In the Greco-Roman world, mourning was frowned upon. No, no one was encouraged to grieve or to mourn. And, he, and here's one of the main reasons why, is that what they would teach is that uh, whatever has happened in your life that is causing you to mourn, the gods are the one who made it happen. And you, uh, w- mourning to them was a waste of time. Because why should you mourn? The gods are the one who did it. And mourn all you want, but you're not going to change the gods' mind. So you might as well not do it. Just get on with your life. And I can see how sometimes... As Christians, our theology says that too. Get on with your life and quit mourning because whatever has happened, God is over it. He's sovereign. You can't change it, so just go on with your life. Yet You have to set that next to Jesus saying, blessed are those who mourn. Sometimes if we're not careful, we can be tricked into thinking that if we trust our lives to Jesus and we give our lives over to Jesus, that we won't suffer from any distress or conflict or trouble so a couple of things that mourning is, I think mourning does involve tears sometimes. As the moreros mentioned, which by the way, when that letter was read, I was like, right now I would pay $6 to go and cry somewhere, right? But I love, I love that connection. Jesus, his personal experience connects with our personal experience, just like the woman who wrote that letter to the Moreros connected with their personal experience. Sometimes mourning involves tears. It did for Jesus, and John 11.35, shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. In Hebrews 5, we're told that Jesus often offered up cries and moans and groans and sighs uh, to God as Father. In Luke 19, Jesus doesn't just weep over an individual. In Luke 19.41, Jesus weeps over an entire city as he mourns for them for their eyes to be opened to the salvation of God. Mourning often includes weeping. But did you know scientists can tell the difference now between tears that come from common experiences and tears that flow from raw emotion? That there's a different kind of tear that comes from you when you're cutting onions than when you have experienced the loss of a loved one. Uh, another way to think about it is our staff went to lunch a couple of weeks ago like we do every week. And we went to what at that time was Milano's. Now it's Isabella's. It's a piece of place down here off... Uh, Sycamore View Road. And while we were there, I like to eat pizza with a lot of crushed pepper on top. And at the end of dinner, I had an itch in my eye and I did not know there was a piece of red pepper on my finger. And when I went to itch my eye, the piece of red pepper got lodged in my eye. And I cried. And the staff laughed. Now, that's a different kind of crying that What came from me six and a half years ago when my sister died It was a different kind of tear that I experienced when for two years I volunteered at hope house here in town a daycare that serves kids who suffer from the aids epidemic It's a different kind of tears that flowed from me When I had a piece of red pepper in my eye than what I experienced when i'm sitting with people who have gone through all forms of abuse and neglect Mourning often includes weeping but it's more than weeping Mourning is a profound loss in your life that cannot be fixed. I mean, there are times where you get some do-overs in life. But most of the time we don't get do-overs. That's why Jesus gives us makeovers. But mourning that Jesus is describing is sometimes that kind of mourning in your life where you are at loss and whatever has been lost, it cannot go back to what it once was. So let me give you just a few things of what mourning leads to. And I hope this is good news for someone here today. Three things. What mourning leads to? Mourning leads to the comfort and the awareness of God, which is the promise that comes with this beatitude. Blessed are those who mourn, for you will be comforted. In Psalm 23, if you don't know your Bibles well, maybe you've heard Psalm 23 at a funeral. If you haven't, go home and read it. If you remember in Psalm 23, it's about, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not one. He makes me lie down in green pastures. And there are a few verses in it says, He leads me through the valley of the shadow of death. It's not someone who is stuck in that valley. It's God who is leading you through the valley to a better place. The comfort and the awareness of God is what often gives us better vision. Because if you've ever had a good cry before, Your vision can get really blurry and especially if you're driving you become a danger to so many other people around you I've had a couple of times where i've like broken down um, driving one time going on from an elders meeting two years after jenny died And I was going on from an elders meeting jumped up on sam cooper was driving home I picked up my cell phone to call my sister to see how she was doing. I dialed the number two years after she died And realized I was calling a number that didn't work anymore began to cry. I was driving down I-40 in Arkansas one day when I heard the song we're going to sing in a few minutes by Matt Redman about scars and struggles on our way. And when I heard that song for the first time, it just blew my heart up. And I I found myself weeping. I'm driving, crying. And these guys driving big semis are driving by me and they see this man in a car crying. And I just knew they were thinking to themselves, that's what's wrong with America right there, man. Grown men who can't control themselves in a car There are times when you cry your vision becomes so blurry It's like you cannot see what is in front of you But in the kingdom of god what tears often do is tears clear up our vision They clear up our vision to see god better The second thing mourning leads to community it leads to meaningful community I um, have some friends who served as missionaries in uganda for a number of years and when they were in Uganda, they would say that oftentimes, and especially those, those small tribes where a lot of infants die at early ages. Um, they said when a mother would lose a loved one, she would let out this loud cry that could be heard throughout the entire village. And when she let out this cry, it meant a couple of things. One it, is it was this cry of a mom who just lost her child. So it was her wailing on her own behalf, but it wasn't just that. She also cried because it was this rallying cry. It was this noise that could be heard all throughout the village. But when other women, other mothers heard the noise, they would leave their homes and just would begin gravitating towards the home of the mother who lost the child. And I heard that story and I thought, man, that should be be who the church is. Now, I know for those of us who have ever had a good cry, for those of you, you don't ever want to be that person that's known as like the permanent crier, right? Like you're the one that weeps and then people know that and they're like, oh, I would stay away from Josh today, all right? If you call him, he's going he's gonna to weep. Yet whenever the church hears mourning, especially mourning coming from their own or from around them and they can hear it, we don't run away from it because sometimes we don't know what to do, but we, we move towards it. It's what I love and just a prayer culture that's been developed here at Sycamore View. uh, At least since I've been here, uh, rarely is there a Sunday where people don't come up to these front uh, seats right here and offer up some kind of prayer to this church. And I remember seven, eight years ago, uh, sometimes when we would do this, people would come and they would sit and not many people would come with them. And as people continue to express things to this church, rarely, if ever, does anyone come without people just flocking all around them. Because if someone's hurting, then we move towards it because we believe that there's some kind of redemption God wants to bring into their life. The thirdly, third thing, mourning leads to action. In fact, the word, um, the word penthuntex carries with it this profound loss that calls for action. But what are you going to do with it? There's a man who lost his, uh, his son. His son was 25 years old and died in this awful, awful hiking accident. He wrote this book, uh, a while back about it, it's been a close, the book has been a close companion of mine over the years. And in the book, he writes about mourners are aching visionaries. That those who mourn, and those who mourn and are aware of the comfort of God that has come into their lives are those who carry with them this ache, but they're able to see the world better. And they become these aching visionaries. So back in 2006, there was a New York Times piece And on the front cover there was a picture of a kid over in Ghana who was on a boat who had been sold into slavery as a child. And Oprah Winfrey saw that. And she wanted to do something about it. So Oprah called up the editor of the New York Times, the one who wrote the piece. She had one of her people call and that person called. And they were trying to get in contact with how they what could they do? How could they go rescue kids? And when they called the person who wrote the piece, this, this person, this author said, hey, I love that you want to do something about it, but it's too late. There's already someone else who's doing it. It's a stay-at-home mom in Neosho, Missouri. And that stay-at-home mom's a friend of mine named Pam Cote. See, Pam was a lady who in 1999, her 15-year-old son came home from a football practice and laid down to take a nap and never woke up. He died of an undetected heart defect. And within a year, Pam was in deep mourning. She had a friend who convinced her to take a trip overseas with her to Cambodia, so she went with them. And Pam came home with the desire to change the world, one child at a time. So she made it to where they started delivering kids who had been sold into slavery over in Cambodia. Within a year, they had rescued over 30 of them. And then in 2006, so a few years later, Pam and her husband were on a trip to New York. And she saw the New York Times piece and she called and she said, what can I do? And they gave them the name. And by the time Oprah had someone call, Pam already had a crew going to Ghana where they rescued seven boys off the lake, buying them out of slave, replacing them in the village of Hope. And then Pam Cope went on the Oprah show and shared her story. And it's the first time, the only time in the history of the Oprah show that there was a standing ovation that began with Oprah. There's are standing ovations on the Oprah show all the time, but it's usually the crowd that's cheering. But this was a day for this stay-at-home single mom who lost a kid and decided she wanted to do something good for the world through her grief and mourning. That a standing ovation began with Oprah. I want to ask those who are praying this morning, if we'll go to your places, for our shepherds, for our other prayer leaders. And I invite us today, we're going to sing a couple of songs. There are four tables that are set up. There are pens and there are pencils on them. You'll see two tables over here to my right, kind of in the middle, two over here. And if there's any form of mourning in your life that you want us to pray over, you may just need a space to acknowledge it. I invite you to go to one of those places. And there may be some of you in this room that because of mourning in your life, your vision is so blurry that it's hard for you to see what's in front of you or to the left and to the right. And you need us to pray for you today that God will clear up your vision. There may be some of you today and what you're experiencing in your life because of mourning is you are struggling to know how God is present in your suffering. And you need someone to pray over your life to help you acknowledge how God is present. Because if we can't acknowledge how God is present in our suffering, what the enemy can do to plant seeds of anger and bitterness and resentment and turn us into people we never wanted to become. If there's anything we can pray for you, those who are mourning whose hearts may be hard, praying prayers of comfort. If there's anything else, there may be someone here who just because of the comfort of God, you want to trust Jesus with your life. John French is over here to my right to receive any of you who want to go public this morning with salvation, or a prayer. But I invite you to go and find one of our prayer leaders. Let's stand and feel free to make your way to one of our tables this morning.